On today's episode, the Chicago Blackhawks have now lost three consecutive games, dropping all three at home to the Columbus Blue Jackets, Dallas Stars, and Florida Panthers. I'll go over each loss and talk about what went wrong for the Blackhawks. Then, I will also be ranking all seven candidates, one through seven, that received an interview for the Hawks' vacant GM job. And then, to wrap things up per usual, to start off the week will be our Mailbag Monday fan segment. All that and plenty more right here on Locked On Blackhawks. Your Locked On Blackhawks, your daily podcast on the Chicago Blackhawks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to the Locked On Blackhawks podcast, your daily podcast on the Chicago Blackhawks. Today is Monday, February 21st. I'm your host, Jack Bushman. You can find me out on Twitter at JackBushman2, or you can also go and check out my Strictly Blackhawks account at TalkinHockey for all the latest Blackhawks news and updates. And if you like what you're listening to today, then please, pretty please, be sure to go and follow the podcast. It'll only take a quick click of the button. It'll help me out tremendously. You can also go and leave me a review if you want to as well. And best of all, It's absolutely for free wherever you may be listening to your podcasts, whether that be through Apple Podcasts, Odyssey, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. It's all absolutely for free. And if you go and follow the show right now, then you'll be able to get the latest episode as soon as it comes out each day. All right, good afternoon, everyone. And as always, thank you for tuning into another episode of Lockdown Blackhawks and for making the show your first listen here to start off your week. I am finally. Back in the good old U.S. of A, it was a lovely vacation. I spent a week down in Mexico. Absolutely fantastic, but it is definitely good to be home, be back in my own studio, have everything set up, make sure the audio is all good for the show. Um, So for those of you who tuned into each episode last week while I was in Mexico, I know the production of that those shows weren't the best, but really couldn't do all that much. I, I basically only had the option of recording in my hotel room where things were a little bit echoey. So I appreciate you all bearing with me through last week, but things are back to normal here now to start off the show this week. And I couldn't be more excited because we have plenty to get into. But before I get into all the good stuff today, folks, I got to remind you that today's episode is sponsored by Bet Online, which is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports and Vegas casino games here in 2022. Bet online where the game begins. So the last episode that I published came on Thursday morning. It was a preview of the Blackhawks matchup with the Columbus Blue Jackets kicking off their six-game homestand. And in their final road game before returning back to the sh- back to Chicago, excuse me, <clears throat> the Blackhawks pulled off a pretty impressive three-to-one victory on the road up in Winnipeg, a whole lot better than their first meeting went up in Winnipeg. Of course, that wound up being the last game that Jeremy Colleton served as head coach of the Chicago Blackhawks. So after taking two of three games on the road, they won both times in Canada against Edmonton and Winnipeg, lost an ugly one against St. Louis. But after that big win against Winnipeg, returning back to Chicago for six consecutive games, nine of their uh, next 12 and 17 days in a row, It was a really big opportunity for the Blackhawks. I know the playoffs are out of the picture, especially with what we know now, but it just would have been a good opportunity to take advantage of a little bit of a a easier portion of the schedule back in Chicago. Felt like forever 
since the team was back at home with the All-Star break and everything. And to start things off against Columbus in that first game, a huge opportunity for the Blackhawks to go um, take advantage of one of the worst defenses in the entire NHL. I talked about that in my preview on Thursday. Not only is Columbus near the bottom in goals allowed per game, but they're also last in shots on goal. So that was a big opportunity, I thought, for the Blackhawks offense to kind of break out. And they did end up doing that. They wound up potting four goals in that one, but the only problem was they surrendered seven. Two of those um, did come, or only one came with an empty net, excuse me. So technically they gave up six. Uh, And if you all remember correctly, that was Arvid Soderblom's second NHL start came against Columbus back last Thursday, and it was not a very good showing from Soderblom. He allowed a couple bad goals. He really just couldn't come up with that big, timely save to keep his team alive, right? And one other thing I talked about in that preview against Columbus, in each of the Blackhawks' prior five wins heading into that game, they scored the first goal. And for Columbus, they had only done that twice in their last nine games coming into Thursday night, but both times they did, they won as well. So I thought it was going to be really key for the Blackhawks to get off to a good start if they wanted to start off their homestand with a victory, and that's not what happened. Boone Jenner scores early to get Columbus on the board, and then uh, literally 13 seconds later, the lead gets doubled. So not a good start there from the Blackhawks. Impressively, they did respond in a big way. Philip Kurashev had a really strong first period. He picked up a goal, and a secondary assist. And in his past 11 games before Thursday night, he only had one point. So a strong first period there from Kershev. Uh, Ryan Carpenter also gets his first goal of the season. That knotted things up at two apiece. But after that, the Blackhawks just really couldn't stop the bleeding and managed to get themselves on top, right? Max Domi wound up scoring a huge goal before the end of the first period. Patrick Lyonne goes on to make it 4-2 to two early in the second, literally nine seconds into the second. A horrible goal for Soderblom to allow, and that was kind of just too big of a deficit for the Blackhawks to overcome, and that's been a theme all season. When they get down big, they're not a team that scores very many goals, and um, it's just, they're not a team that's built to be coming from behind all the time. I was impressed with their fight, you know, and Whistle scored a goal to make it 4-3 to heading into the second intermission, but, you know, it, it just seemed every time the Blackhawks got a goal, they couldn't rattle off two in a row, right? Columbus would just answer right back. The lead would go back to two. Line A made it five to three with a second. Debrinket answered to make it five to four. Then Oliver Borkstrand put them back up six to four late in the third, and it was just kind of like, oh man, we're on our heels this whole time. It was actually a wild game there in Chicago. A whole lot was happening, uh, but the Blackhawks really just dug themselves too deep of a hole. They were just the sloppier defensive team and couldn't get the big stops out of their young netminder. And there was a lot of hate on Twitter for Arvid Soderblom's second NHL star. People were saying he sucks, needs to go back to the AHL, he's not an NHL goalie. I'm like, are you kidding me? Even Soderblom himself probably didn't expect to be in the NHL this early in his career. He's just 22 years old. And the defense really wasn't doing him any favors. He just couldn't come up with the big stop. So for everyone out there that's thinking Arvid Soderblom isn't a good goalie, please... Stop being ignorant on the situation. This was this kid's second NHL start. He doesn't have a great defense in front of him. He's only 22 years old. It's his first year over in North America. And if you go and look at his numbers for the Rockford Ice Hogs, I mean, without a doubt, he's the MVP of that team if it's not Lucas Reichel. And he even has a case for 
being the MVP over Reichel. That's how good he's been. He's been one of the best goaltenders in the entire AHL, and he has a tremendous future ahead of him. So please stop hating Arvid Soderblom on one start. It's absolutely ridiculous. This kid has a bright future. He could even be our starter one day down the road. So don't start off by hating him, but undoubtedly it was not um, the start I'm sure he would even like to have had in his second game of NHL action. Then the Blackhawks were back in action the next day, back-to-back games at home. This one came against the Dallas Stars, and actually it was my last day in Mexico, last day on vacation with my girlfriend and my family. I've watched every Blackhawks game this season up to that point, and I said, you know, it's my last night in paradise. I'll cover the game, but I'm not going to be watching it intently because I'm, I don't get opportunities like that all that often. So I apologize for not covering that game. As I said, it was the first time that happened all season long, but it wound up being a pretty good one to miss because for the first time in Chicago Blackhawks history, the game was nothing, nothing going to a shootout. Neither Dallas nor Chicago could find the back of the net in regulation or in overtime. Marc-Andre Fleury and Jake Ottinger both pitched shutouts in this one, but unfortunately, Dallas was the one who emerged victorious in the shootout. One thing I have to say about this shootout, this game was not much to break down here overall, but Jake McCabe going in the sixth round of the shootout over guys like Kirby Doc, Brandon Hagel. What are we doing, Kinger? And his explanation after the game for that was, oh, McCabe had a really good week of practice in shootouts. Like, what? You're going to go with a defensive defenseman over some of your future studs? That, to me, just made absolutely no sense. So, all in all, an absolutely disgusting loss for the Blackhawks. Marc-Andre Fleury pitches a shutout and still winds up getting the L, unfortunately. Feels so bad for Flower. He did everything in his power to give the Blackhawks a chance to win that one. Made, like, four or five highlight reel saves that I saw on Twitter when the game was going on. So, as always, respect to Flower for giving it his all as he does on a nightly basis. Uh, But the Blackhawks wound up coming up a little bit short there, losing one to nothing in a shootout. And then yesterday, they were back in action, a two o'clock matinee game against the Florida Panthers. And a lot of former Blackhawks on that Florida Panthers team, right? We got Gustav Forsling, Anthony Duclair, Lucas Carlson. I mean, it's it's the Blackhawks junior. Kind of like, you know, when we face Carolina or Arizona, it's just like, oh, there's always a couple of pieces there that have turned into absolute studs that I'm sure we'd love to have on the team right now. But actually, in this game against the Panthers, one of the top teams, if not the top team in the entire NHL, the Blackhawks put up a pretty darn good fight in particular in that first period. They held Florida to only three shots on goal. That's the lowest they've had in a period all season long. Unfortunately, the Panthers were still able to open the scoring after just an insane sequence by Aaron Ekblad. That dude is seriously so freaking good. He's got 13 goals this year. He's in the Norris Trophy conversation for a reason. An absolute snipe past Flower. Put the Panthers up one to nothing. But late in the first, with under a minute to go, Patrick Kane wound up beating Sergei Bobrovsky, who, by the way, did not look comfortable at all in this game. Kane beat, her, Kane beat him from a terrible angle behind the goal line even things up one-to-one heading into the second intermission. I thought that was going to be a huge momentum goal for the Blackhawks, especially to, to be tied up after putting together such a strong push right out of the gate, right? It would, I thought it would have been a little bit deflating to hold the Panthers to three shots on goal, but they still are losing after 20 minutes. So big goal there by Kaner. He stays red hot as of late. 
But after that first period, we really saw uh, the Florida Panthers at their best. Not They didn't get off to the hottest start, but they started to look like the Florida Panthers more and more as that game went on. Uh, Brandon Montour beat Fleury from, uh, with a wrister from out near the blue line, a double screen from Seth Jones and Calvin Hahn. Fleury literally never saw the shot. He didn't even react. And Montour goes bar in to make this 2-1. to one. Blackhawks still, they had their opportunities. They were right there in the game. But the third period, it all went to crap. 50 seconds in, Mackenzie Weger makes it 3-1. to one. And just the consistency of this team continues to bite them in the butt once again. And I get that Florida is just on a completely different level than they are. But I remember through the first nine minutes, the Blackhawks didn't have a shot on goal in the third period. So it's like, how do you expect to come back against this good of a team when you can't even rattle off a shot on goal. Impressively, they did cut it to one once again. Uh, Caleb Jones actually scored his second goal with the Blackhawks this season. Another pretty garbage goal that just trickled through Sergei Bobrovsky. It's kind of a shame that the Blackhawks weren't able to take advantage of his shaky play in that more than twice. Um, And then Barkov and Lundell went on to add empty netters to make this one look a little bit more lopsided than it actually was, a 5-2 to two final. As I said, the Blackhawks put up a pretty good fight, but a couple of mistakes really wound up biting them, and against a, a superior team like Florida, you can't do those things, right? So, Blackhawks drop the first three games of their six-game homestand. They're still, uh, they, they got one point, but they still have not picked up a victory, and it just feels like the streakiness of this team, it always happens, up and down, up and down, up and down. They lose three in a row at home. They go and take two of three on the road, both coming up in Canada, and then they lose three more in a row at home. So it's like, whether it's good or bad, this team is always seeming to be streaky, inconsistent. You never know who's going to show up. Um, So tough couple of losses there for the Blackhawks as they've returned to Chicago. And now they're looking at four consecutive days off before they return to play against the New Jersey Devils on Friday night. All right, there are some thoughts on the Blackhawks' three consecutive losses to start off their six-game homestand. Coming up in just a moment, I will be ranking all seven candidates, one through seven, that have received an interview for the Blackhawks' vacant general manager job. But first, I need to talk to you all about Built Bar, which is a protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. It's the new year, and that means New Year's resolutions. And if yours is about getting fit or even eating healthier, then make sure to include Built Bar in your plan because right now, you can get the best of both worlds with Built Bar. Delicious and healthy. In so many flavors, you'll have a hard time choosing. Are you going to go with raspberry or mint brownie? Coconut almond or double chocolate? Cookies and cream or peanut butter brownie? Either way you choose, Built Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolution because they taste so good, you'll actually want to eat them. Unlike some other protein bars, which can be chalky, they'll stick to your teeth, they can even be waxy, or sometimes just taste like a chemical spill. And even if you're not a huge fan of working out, you can at least eat something that tastes good and is also good for you. That way, when you enjoy a delicious Built Bar, you can almost count it as a workout. And for a limited time offer, go to BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. All right, we're back here on Lockdown Blackhawks, getting into segment two now on the show today. 
I also wanted to be sure to rank all seven candidates that have received an interview for the Blackhawks vacant GM job, in my opinion. These are my rankings, so if you don't agree with them, don't attack me personally. We all can have different thoughts in this world, folks. I know it seems like a crazy concept, but we're allowed to have our own opinions. We're entitled to that. So these are my rankings, one through seven, of the seven candidates that have received an interview for the Blackhawks' vacant GM job. And the reason why I am doing this on the show today to start off the week is because, according to Barstool Chief, which I know it's Barstool, I know a lot of people have varying opinions on Barstool, you hate them, you love them, doesn't matter. The facts are, Barstool Chief, whether you like him or not, he has some insider information. Not all the time, but there are situations where he's been right about things that he's, he's said and he's heard. The whispers he's heard have been true in the past. So, I tend to believe him when he said earlier, uh, it was over the weekend, I believe, he was told that the Blackhawks are closing in on their decision and it could even happen this week. So, if that winds up being true, I'm not saying Chief is right or he's wrong, but if that winds up being the case, I definitely want to go over my rankings of the candidates, one through seven, and talk about who I would like to see as a general manager of the future for the Chicago Blackhawks. First, starting off at number seven, not going to start off at number one, That where's the fun in that? Coming in at number seven, it's got to be Peter Shirelli. I mean, I don't even know why the Blackhawks gave this guy an interview, right? He really hasn't done anything notable in the, in the positive. He's been notable, and people know him for all the bad moves that he made with the Edmonton Oilers. He really hasn't done anything since winning a Stanley Cup with the Boston Bruins way back in 2011. That was over 10 years ago, folks. Over a decade ago. Why are we even giving Peter Shirelli the light of day? I don't know. His experience, sure. He has had success in the past, but it was long ago. So I see absolutely no reason for Peter Shirelli to be in the running at this point. Um, I don't even know why the Blackhawks gave him an interview, as I said earlier. Um, So without a doubt, Peter Shirelli is my least favorite candidate on this list, and I don't think the Blackhawks should even blink twice um, with uh, in considering him for their final selection. Coming in at number six, Chicago Cubs assistant general manager Jeff Greenberg. And while I do think Greenberg is obviously a very respected executive in Major League Baseball, he knows what he's doing, both business and in terms of player product, but he doesn't have any experience in the game of hockey. And I know the Blackhawks wanted to go outside of the box with a couple of candidates. So I respect the idea of interviewing Greenberg and seeing what he has to offer, right? He's been around the business of sports for a long time now. But considering how the Chicago Cubs have kind of handled things the last few years, trust me, I am a big Cubs fan. That was actually my first true love was baseball. Chicago Cubs were my love growing up before I wound up falling in love with the game of hockey a couple years later. I just don't see why Greenberg, I don't know why the Blackhawks would have the most confidence in Greenberg amongst all these candidates, right? That just wouldn't make sense to me. He hasn't done anything that spectacular to make him the leading candidate, in my opinion. So Peter Shirelli comes in at number seven. Chicago Cubs assistant assistant general manager Jeff Greenberg comes in at number six for me, but I don't mind the idea of reaching out and thinking outside of the box for the next hire. Coming in at number five, I got Teresa Resch the executive VP of um, player development for the Toronto Raptors, and she has been a huge part of building Toronto into the team that they are and 
winning uh, an NBA title a couple years back, led by Kawhi Leonard. What a postseason that was for all my basketball fans out there. Then you definitely know about that. And Teresa, when I did research on her, because when I heard she was a candidate and received an interview, I really didn't know all that much about her. And in my research, watching videos and reading articles about her, I mean, everyone speaks so highly of this woman. She's incredibly smart, uh, very poised, is very good at communication from the top end of the organization all the way to the bottom. She understands that the message has to be the same for things to truly work. And I think that is a very important aspect and a very important part of the next general manager for the Chicago Blackhawks, right? You got to hold everyone from the top to the bottom to the same exact standard. And that's what Teresa Rush has been doing in Toronto. I was very impressed by everything I read about her. But kind of like Jeff Greenberg, because she doesn't have any pro hockey experience, sure, she's worked in the NBA front office forever, both with the league and with the Toronto Raptors. But she doesn't know hockey. She may know the game of hockey, but she doesn't have any experience inside the game at the professional level. That worries me a little bit. Similar to Greenberg, I just... I don't mind the idea and reaching out and seeing, you know, what she's capable of. And she's very well respected inside the NBA. So I understand, but like Greenberg, I just ultimately don't think she should be the leading candidate without any pro hockey experience. I think that would make both, if Rush or Greenberg wound up being the choice, wind up being the choice, I should say. I think Blackhawks fans would be a little nervous due to their lack of experience at the NA, at any sort of uh, professional hockey level, not not only just the NHL. So Shirelli comes in at number seven. Jeff Greenberg comes in at number six. Teresa Resch comes in at number five. Number four is Scott Mellenby, who is the former assistant general manager of the Montreal Canadiens for a long time and helped that team get to the Stanley Cup final last year. And Mellenby, a respected veteran, played over a thousand NHL games. He's been there, done that in every facet of the game, right? I love the experience that he has. My only concern would be, is he kind of an old school hire? I don't know that. I didn't sit in the room with Scott Mellenby, but the era that he played in, it was different. Different things happened in the locker room. There's a different mentality around the game. You could get away with different things. I don't know what Scott Mellenby, what his mentality is. I just worry that he's kind of more an old school hire. Being a former NHLer that played when he did, that would be my only concern. And with the Chicago Blackhawks, they have to make strides about going forward and being better as an organization, not just worrying about what's going on on the ice. That's my only concern with Scott Mellenby. He's got tons of experience. He knows how to run a front office in the game of hockey. So that's why I put him ahead of Rush, Greenberg, and Shirelli coming in at number four. At number three for me, I got current interim general manager Kyle Davidson. And I think starting here, these top three candidates are really who I believe it needs to be down to. And if they do wind up letting Davidson, if they do wind up removing the interim tag for Kyle Davidson, I wouldn't be upset about it because he's done all the right things so far. He was placed in such a terrible situation coming in for Stan Bowman, who's never going to be welcomed back into the city of Chicago. He answered all the tough questions and he, he, for being so young, He just seems so mature, right? And he's got the experience within the Blackhawks organization. He's worked his way up now. He's made good moves. He's said all the right things. I really like Kyle Davidson, and I know I'm not the only one. I know there are a lot of Kyle Davidson fans out there, so I would not be upset at all if they wind up going with Kyle Davidson. But 
My only thing about this is the Blackhawks have already kind of said if Davidson doesn't wind up getting the job, they're probably going to keep him around in some way, shape, or form because they love his mind. He's got a great hockey mind. He's a great communicator. Charlie Romeliotis told me he's one of those guys that'll ask anyone in the organization what their opinion is on a topic. He's not afraid to hear what you have to say about it. And I think that's so important for the Chicago Blackhawks future. Take everyone's opinions into account. You don't just want two or three people telling you what to do and you're going to stick to your guns. No, get outside opinions. Things obviously haven't worked well here in Chicago for quite some time now. So I like that about Davidson. He's not scared to reach out and see what other people think. And I just think that's the perfect mentality for the Chicago Blackhawks going forward. But one thing I think about, why not have Davidson and one of the other candidates, right? Why not have both? If you're going to keep Davidson around in some way, shape, or form, whether or not he gets the job, why not have him and one of the other candidates and then get two really strong hockey minds who the Blackhawks respect inside their front office going forward? I personally think that would be the right move. So that's my only concern about making Kyle Davidson the long-term hire here is that you have to eliminate another candidate who you've won out and interviewed one. If it's not Davidson, he can kind of have both. So that's why Davidson excuse me, comes in at number three in my rankings. Coming in at number two is Eric Tolsky of the Carolina Hurricanes. And honestly, I sat and thought for a while about who I was going to have at one and two. And it really is kind of a coin toss. I have Matthew Darsh of the Tampa Bay Lightning coming in at number one for me personally. But I don't think anyone would be upset about either of these guys being the general manager of the future for the Chicago Blackhawks. Eric Tolsky is known as one of the best young up-and-coming hockey minds in the game, huge into analytics, really helped change the tides in Carolina, and look what they've been able to do these last couple of years. Dominant, not only in terms of analytics, but in the standings. They usually are the team controlling the puck for most of the game. They score a ton of goals. They got a stacked defense. That team has come together so well, and Eric Tolsky is a huge part of that. So if Eric Tolsky, I mean, this is basically a 1A, 1B for me. Eric Tolsky comes in at 1B. I love Eric Tolsky, and I think he would be a great hire. And he's more so the outside-the-box type that I think is realistic for the Chicago Blackhawks general manager. For Matthew Darsh, the only reason why I think I would have him over Eric Tolsky is because he's been surrounded by greatness. Not only with what Tampa Bay has done on the ice the last couple of years, and he's played a part in building that team as well. Of course, Tampa's back-to-back Stanley Cup champs at the moment. But he was also there with Steve Eiserman, who's now in Detroit, and looking like he's building something really special there, as much as that kills me to say, as a hater of the Detroit Red Wings, there's a ton of young talent on that team. And without a doubt, the way that Stevie Y was able to build up Tampa Bay in his time there, it's undeniable. He did a phenomenal job, and Matthew Darsh was around that. He's seen what it takes to win. He knows what the best general managers do. So that's personally why I would have Matthew Darsh. That's why I have Matthew Darsh at the top of my list, slightly over Eric Tolsky. But like I said, it's really a coin flip. I love both these, both these guys. I think really it should be one of those two. Keep Davidson around as a supporting cast member. That's personally how I would look at it. But I got to say, if it's not Matthew Darsh, Eric Tolsky, or Kyle Davidson, I would be pretty darn disappointed with the decision the Chicago Blackhawks made. 
All right, there are my rankings on the seven candidates to receive an interview for the Blackhawks' vacant general manager job. Coming up in just a moment, it's time for our weekly Mailbag Monday fan segment, where I answer a question from a couple of lucky listeners right here on Locked On Blackhawks. But first, I need to talk to you all about Bet Online. Football season may be over now, but Bet Online still has way more odds and info for both pro and college hoops. From game scores, totals, player performance props, to where the next fired coach is going to land, Bet Online remains your number one spot for all sports betting here in 2022. And it's not just basketball. From the NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, do not wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2022 season. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports and Vegas casino games. Bet Online, where the game begins. Welcome back to Lockdown Blackhawks. I'm your host, Jack Bushman. Moving on into segment three here today before I finish up the show, I still got to get into our weekly Mailbag Monday fan segment where I answer a question from a couple of lucky listeners right here on Lockdown Blackhawks. The first question I wanted to answer today comes from at PostBro1 on Twitter. I'm glad I remembered to go back and look at this question. I believe this was asked uh, last Tuesday by Mr. M or PostBro1. Um, but the question was, Here's a question for your next mailbag episode. Is it time for Jonathan Taze to consider retirement? And I actually had this conversation with a couple of my buddies while watching the Blackhawks play the Florida Panthers yesterday. And I do believe it's a thought that it's something that he has to think about with all he's been through. He's been through a lot. It's been a rough last couple of seasons for Jonathan Taze, undoubtedly. And now suffering another concussion. He hasn't suffered one in a while, but this is not the first he's suffered in his career. I don't know how serious it is. Obviously, it's serious enough where he's missed the last handful of games. He's lightly been on the ice recently, but we haven't seen a whole lot of Jonathan Taze. And initially, when King when Kinger said, you know, Taze has been around the team, you know, he was at Fifth Third Arena while the boys were practicing, that gave me hope that this really wasn't all that serious. Now, with Taze still not on the ice, I think we're all definitely a little bit more concerned. And at the same time, the Blackhawks are being extremely cautious for good reason, so I don't know if it's more so they're being careful or it is a little bit serious. I I don't know. Concussions are always serious, of course, but they can kind of vary. I don't know what Taze is going through, but I think he's got to consider it, right? But knowing the type of competitor he is, I don't see that happening until this contract plays out. He's always been such a fierce competitor. He wants to battle. He wants to win. And I think with the year that he's had, he was finally starting to pick it up a little bit, but those first 25, 26 games were horrendous. I mean, the dude didn't score a goal. That definitely had to weigh on him. You could tell he was slamming his stick on the bench. He had to talk to the media about it every day. It's been frustrating. But knowing the fierce competitor that Jonathan Taze is, I feel like he'd at least want to come back and try to prove people wrong. I feel like this isn't the way he'd want to go out. That's just my thought on it. But I do believe it's something that he has to ask himself. He's got a whole life after hockey. And he's basically done everything he needs to. Three-time Stanley Cup champion, 
Conn Smythe winner, Olympic gold medalist, won the World Juniors when he was 18. You name it, he's done it. So he really doesn't have anything left to prove. But knowing the fierce competitor he, he is, I don't think he's thinking that way. That's just my thoughts on it. Um, I hope Johnny's good enough to go, and this isn't all she wrote for his career. But I do believe it's something he has to ask himself, right? Because it's been a tough uphill battle for Johnny these last two seasons, and um, I just want to make sure that he's 100% healthy and isn't forcing himself back on the ice just to try and prove people wrong. He needs to be 110%. I don't know how long that's going to take. I don't know if he'll get back there again. Um, I just personally don't think this is going to be the end for Taze, but it is a valid question with everything he's gone through uh, the last couple of years, undoubtedly. Getting into this next question I want an answer today comes from at WC Hockey on Twitter. I like the hockey name. I don't know if you stole it from me. Nah, I'm just kidding. Um, but Windy City Hockey on Twitter asked, what do you think the Hawks will do with Dominic Kubalik at the deadline? If they move him, what will they get for him? Since he has proof as a 30-goal scorer, but this year he has completely snake bit. Yeah, at this point, I feel like the Blackhawks... I mean, Dominic Kubelik, his first two years, looked like a star. He looked incredible. 30-goal scorer his first season. Last year, he still had a strong year. I believe he was on pace in an 82-game season. He would have scored 26 or 27. He showed it in his first two NHL seasons. He's an elite sniper. And I just feel like one bad season isn't shouldn't be enough to move on from Dominic Kubelik. That's how I think about it. Especially when... This is a contract year for him. I believe he doesn't have arbitration rights. I'm going to pull up bet online on my phone. Actually, my phone just died. Lovely. So I'm going to give it a quick Google. Um, But I feel like punting on Dominic Kubelik now could wind up biting the Blackhawks in the butt. And they've done this in the past where you see one bad season and it's not even been a full season yet. I mean, I know we're, what, 52, 53 games in, maybe even more. Uh, 18, 26, and 8. Not great at math, but 54 games, I believe. I don't know. It's not a full season. And if you look at Kubelik's numbers, sure, he's not getting off as many shots on goal, not nearly as many shots on goal. A ton of them are getting blocked. His shooting percentage is down. But I feel like one half of a bad season shouldn't make you want to punt on him. All right, I got Cap Friendly up now. He is arbitration eligible. But I feel like if the Blackhawks were to trade him, they'd be selling low on him right now. And also, one thing to consider, when I had my interview with Charlie Romeliotis, one thing he told me is that a lot of teams who could be buyers at the deadline, they don't have a lot of money to work with right now. That's why Brandon Hagel was kind of the guy they were most interested in, because Hagel's still got three years left at $1.5 million, and then he's going to be a restricted free agent without arbitration rights. So not only is he a phenomenal young player, but he's also got a very, very easy contract. Teams can take that on for $1.5 million. Is someone going to take on $3.7 million for Dominic Kubelik? I think not in a COVID world. That would definitely be more intriguing, but according to Charlie Romeliotis, there may not be all that many candidates looking to add that type of money to their team when they don't got a ton to give out. So considering those factors, considering you'd also probably be selling low on Dominic Kubelik, I personally, kind of like Dylan Strom, I think the Blackhawks should just keep him, re-sign him for cheap, and if things go bad next year again, then maybe it's time to sell on him. 
but we've seen what this kid can do when the offense is working well, right? Like, one thing also to consider, this Blackhawks offense as a whole, no one's really looking all that good this year, except for Alex Dabrinka and Patrick Kane. And really, up until the last 10 games or so, Patrick Kane wasn't even looking like himself. So, I feel like it's really hard to judge select players on this Blackhawks team when the offense as a whole has not been clicking all year long, and that definitely has not helped out Dominic Kubelik. So, I personally would be a little hesitant to trade Kubelik, but if they do if they do feel like they could get a good offer for him, they do need to start compiling draft picks, new prospects, because clearly what they have right now ain't going to get it done. So, that's where I stand on Kubelik. I personally would be a little hesitant, but if there is a good enough offer, it might have to get done considering the state the Chicago Blackhawks are in right now. All right, the third and final question I'm answering on the show today before I wrap things up comes from at Captain Cromie 262 longtime listener Joe Cromwell. Really appreciate all the support over the years. Joe Cromwell asked, if you were a number one pick and everyone has lined up to anoint you the new number one center, he's out, you can't win a faceoff, and they're talking of playing you at wing, how much time do you get to develop? That's an interesting thought. And of course, you're talking about Kirby Doc. We're not beating around the bush here. Doc is tough. And looking back on it now, this kid definitely should have spent more time in Rockford. They rushed him right to the NHL level at 18 years old because he was their shiny new toy. Stan Bowman says, oh, look, we have some hope. We're going to play the 18-year-old right away, even though he probably shouldn't have been there. And what was the rush? Oh, Stan was trying to save his job. Everyone was trying to save their job and make the Blackhawks competitive again, make the team interesting. They went the same route with Adam Boquist, and it didn't work out for them. So for Doc, you got to be patient. And like Kubelik, I feel like it's even harder to judge Doc when this offense as a whole is putrid. The power play is inconsistent. Really, no one can do anything on the man advantage except for Dabrinkit and Kane. I think you got to be patient with Doc, and I am really interested to see what he can do on the wing. And even at center, the faceoff numbers aren't great, but he's just so responsible defensively already. I wonder if it's going to hinder at all when he plays on the wing. It shouldn't if the Blackhawks run their system right, but it's going to be different for him. He's never really played there. I think you got to give him... The tough part about this, too, is... You really can't play Doc on the wing until Jonathan Taze comes back. And there's a huge question mark surrounding Jonathan Taze right now, as I talked about a few moments ago. So it's kind of hard to answer this question, to be honest. And I feel like if Johnny's able to return by the end of this homestand, I don't know if that's going to happen. But I'd give Doc a a pretty good chunk on the wing unless you're desperate for help down the middle, which the Blackhawks kind of are. That's the tough part about it. But I'd give him the rest of the season. And maybe even if he's, if you're still having questions about his future, go into next training camp with him on the wing. See what he can do when he gets a full training camp, a full summer off. I think that's more so how we'll be able to tell what position he's going to be good for in the future. And the tough part about it, like I said, you can't really give him that opportunity until Jonathan Taves comes back. So with that being unknown at this point, It's tough to say how many games exactly you want to give Doc to develop. Ideally, I think they want to start giving him looks as soon as possible, but um, that can't be the case until the Blackhawks get their captain back, but hopefully that will be rather soon. All right, folks, I think that will wrap up Monday. 
February 21st's episode of Locked On Blackhawks. Thank you again for tuning into the show, and be sure to go and follow the Locked On Blackhawks podcast for free right now on your favorite podcast app, and you can get the latest episode as soon as it comes out each day. And after the show, be sure to go and check out the Locked On Fantasy Hockey podcast as hosts Steel Roden and Philip Livingstone help you become the expert of your fantasy league. It's free and available on all platforms, so be sure to check out Lockdown Fantasy Hockey right now, wherever you get your podcasts. Once again, thank you for tuning into today's episode. I'm your host, Jack Bushman. You can go and catch me on Twitter at my personal account, at JackBushman2, or you can also go and check out my Strictly Blackhawks account, at Talkin Hockey for all the latest Blackhawks news and updates. And for any questions at all regarding anything related to the show, feel free to email LockdownBlackhawks at gmail.com. You can also hit me on any one of my Twitter accounts, or you can call 708-653-0572 to leave a voicemail. So until tomorrow's episode, thanks again for listening to the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.